I'd like to invite the rest of you to turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and really this morning I'm going to pick up where we left off last week, right at the end of the service in the last three or four or five minutes. Um, I encouraged you to make a decision, and that decision was to Submit your life to the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's always something about Americans that bristle when you talk about being controlled by someone. We're independent. We like our liberty and our freedom. We want to do what we want to do. And so there's always that uh, little bit of bristling And yet, the Scripture speaks of being controlled by or influenced by or directed by the Holy Spirit. And I want to move a little more deeply into that this morning as we kind of progress into Colossians, beginning in verse 5. We'll get there in just a moment. But when we talk about being controlled by the Holy Spirit, there's a reason for that. We have become followers of Jesus Christ. And if we are followers of Christ, and I want to make a distinction, if I may, between a follower of Christ and a person who has adopted the Christian religion. There's a lot of religious Christians throughout the land that have kind of embraced Christianity uh, as a as a philosophy or as a religion or as a way of worship, but yet, unfortunately, along with that are a lot of negatives. Christianity is viewed, particularly by the world and often by many people in the church, as somewhat of a negative way of living. It's primarily characterized by what you're not supposed to do and all these prohibitions unless uh, you're creative enough to kind of reinterpret the Bible your own way, as uh, one key political leader did not too long ago, who shall remain unnamed. But anyway, we just, you know, we have a tendency to see religion in terms of prohibitive. But let me draw a distinction between the, the Christian religious world and those who are true followers of Jesus Christ. Why do you follow Christ? Well, if you do, it's because you have come to realize that you are in need of a Savior. You have recognized that you have a problem with God, that you have a blight upon your life called sin, and that you have committed sins, and that has been offensive to God, and you're in trouble that way. And perhaps more than that, most people come to Christ when they recognize that their lives are a bit of a mess too. Those are not necessarily the same thing. To recognize that you are a sinner condemned under the law in need of grace is one key aspect. That's the Godward side of the, of the issue. But the human side of it is because of sin, most of us have made a mess in one way or another. And we need someone to take our feet out of the miry clay and put us on a rock. We need someone to lift us up 
out of our own disaster and, and reestablish our life on firm footing. We need a Savior in all dimensions. And when we discover that Jesus is the Savior, that He has been provided by the Father, the Son of God, to pay the penalty of our sin and to redeem our lives, we become followers of Jesus Christ. And as a consequence of that amazing grace that He has given us, we fall in love with Him. It's all right to use that terminology. It's even okay for guys. If you have trouble, I heard somebody say one time, men have trouble with church because loving Jesus sounds so strange. Well, they don't know Jesus yet, I guess. Because when you meet Him for all that He is, you love Him. You fall in love with Him in all the right senses of the word. And yielding your life to His control is not a burden, but a joy. In fact, in the early days of your newfound faith, if you can dial back your memory to that point when you first found Jesus Christ, the the days following that momentous event can almost be described as euphoric. There is tremendous joy. There is almost a sense of, of giddy lightness. There is a reality of burdens lifted. There is a sense of a clean slate, a new beginning. Things have been made right. Your life is back on course. In fact, for the first time, it's on course. And you have come into a personal relationship with God. What could be better than that? And so, under those circumstances, to yield to the control of the Holy Spirit is an act of loving submission. Here is my Lord, and He has promised me abundant life. Life to the hilt, full of joy. A life that is rich in satisfaction and blessing and going to bed at night with a clear conscience and being free from guilt and condemnation and all of the things that go with that tremendous experience of being in Christ for the first time. And so, my friends, it's not a burden to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, later he said to that same group of disciples, I will not leave you alone. I will send you a helper, a comforter, an encourager, a guide, a teacher. He is the Holy Spirit. He has been with you. He will be in you. And He will be available to you to enable you to live life as I have lived it. Tremendous, tremendous promise. Life abundant in the Spirit. And so, as we come to Colossians chapter 3 this morning, beginning in verse 5, Paul says, "...because certain things are true..." We need to make certain choices. 
We need to make decisions. He's not giving us big work projects here to do. He's just saying there are things that are true, and because of that, there are things you need to choose. You need to declare as reality. I want to read Colossians 3 for you, beginning in verse 5, and then we're going to look at a few related passages of Scripture. But Paul writes to the church, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now... You also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed in a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. What Paul is saying to the Colossians here, he frequently says in his letters, To other churches, he hammers on the same theme for the same reasons. He draws the same conclusions. He leads his audience to a decision point. This is true, therefore. I'd like you to turn back with me into the book of Romans. Go back a few books to Romans chapter 6. I would like to read... Verses 8 through 13 from Romans chapter 6. Notice the similar logic and notice the similar encouragement. In verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. And here's Colossians. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead, to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you obey its lust. Highlight that sentence. I'm going to come back there in a moment. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace." Look in Galatians. Go over a few books to chapter 5 of Galatians. Very significant passage. Galatians is another one of those books while you're turning there. Galatians 5. While you're turning there, it's another one of those books that contrasts, in fact, it's the key book that contrasts law and spirit. Living under the law versus living by the spirit. And in verse 16 of chapter 5, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They are in opposition to one another, so you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. 
which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Finally, Ephesians chapter 4. If you turn there with me. Last passage, then we'll talk about them. Ephesians chapter 4. And by the way, when I get to verse 26, I'm going to read that the way it should be translated. Our translators have such a difficult time with verse 26. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Become angry and stop sinning. Stop letting the sun go down in your wrath. Don't give the devil a place. He who steals must steal no longer, but... Rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so he'll have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away, along with malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, as Christ loved you and gave Himself up for you. An offering and sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma, but immorality, impurity, and greed must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. Why did I read verse 26 the way I did? Those of you that have been around a while can probably quote it back to me what I have to say about this. But verse 26 is actually, it's been psychologized so much in the last 50 years like, okay, it's okay to have a fit and blow up and have a knockdown drag out and argue and fuss, but just make sure you make up before bed. Common sense should tell us that that's not what the Bible's saying. I mean, it's not bad advice. But if you've had a serious rift, you can't always fix that in one day. God knows that. Sometimes there are differences that occur between people <laughs> that are legitimate and somebody else needs to make the first move because they're wrong. Now, you always think that's whoever else isn't you, but anyway. Um, sometimes you can't fix things in one day. But besides all of that, that's not what the passage is saying. 
Paul is saying that believers should have a certain attitude towards sin. Get angry about sin. Become angry. Stop sinning. That's like saying, grow up. Stop sinning. Don't ever let the sun go down on your hatred for sin. Don't ever let it cool off. And stop giving the devil a place in your life. That's what he's saying. Doesn't that make a whole lot more sense than make up before bedtime? And by the way, if I just took away your justification for having a fit occasionally, that's okay, we'll deal with that as the sermon progresses, so just hang in there with me. But, but Paul is saying in all of these passages, they all have similar themes. Every one of these books. Sexual immorality. Internal attitudes. Addictive Compulsive behaviors. Poor ways of speaking to one another. Harboring bitterness and malice and anger. These kinds of things characterize the human condition. But they ought not characterize followers of Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is that people outside of Christ truly can't help their sin. They're in bondage. The Bible describes them as being dead in sin, under its power, unable to rise above it. I told a story in the first hour. Illustrations usually pop into my head. I don't pre-plan them. I got so amused... Actually, I got downright tickled with the memory of it that I almost thought I couldn't stop laughing. I think I can manage it a little better uh, in this one. I was thinking of sin, an unbeliever dealing with sin, or a believer living under the law trying to deal with sin as a lot like trying to make a waterbed level. Now, the image that came into my mind was, and the reason this whole imagery has been in my mind for a number of years is, many years ago, we bought a waterbed when those were popular, because I thought they would provide better support for my back, and so we got the thing. It was supposed to be waveless, which means it had a big sponge in it, and uh, we didn't know a thing in the world about waterbeds, but we put the whole thing together and unfolded it and filled it up, filled it up. And came time to go to bed, and Rowena got in on her side, and I got in on mine, and bounced her out. (laughs) Yeah, just think about it. She's between the bed and the dresser. (laughs) And it's like, whoa, what is wrong with this picture? Way too much water. (laughs) way too much weight on my side. (laughs) Not a good equation. Well, we let some water out of there, got it a little more manageable so that we could actually both be in the bed without falling off of it. 
And then every once in a while, you know, you'd have to kind of straighten things out. And I can recall the experience of getting in the middle of the bed, trying to straighten things that had moved and scrunched. And have you ever tried to, you know, just, can I make this thing level? And the answer is no. If you push down here, it comes up here. If you push down here, it comes up here. It doesn't matter what you try to get under control, something else is rising out of control. And for an unbeliever dealing with sin, life is like that. As is the experience of a believer dealing with sin under the rules of law. When you try to work on yourself, it's hopeless. The more you push to fix one area, the more other things get out of joint. And you can't maintain the balance. And frankly, you never really make any progress. And so the consequence is you go through your life always trying to push down the bumps and failing rather miserably at it. Now, the Bible describes the condition of lost people as unable to change that process. They're hopelessly lost in sin. But the story is very different for followers of Jesus Christ. In the first place, We have died with Christ to the power of sin. It is no longer able to pull us into its abyss. It has lost the power to make us sin. Secondly, we have been born again. We have come to life spiritually. Our hearts have been regenerated after God. Thirdly, we have been invested with the living and abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us, the very life of God inside of us. That is tremendous equipment, people, in order to live victoriously. That is tremendous equipment. And so, Paul says to the Colossians, In Colossians verse 5, or chapter 3, verse 5, he says that, um, where am I? I'm not in Colossians. Got to get back there. Paul says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sin. Now, I asked you last week, to consider surrendering yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit. That's literally what this is all about. There is a one-time global decision, a decision of global significance in your life that believers need to take as followers of Jesus Christ. They need to take everything I've just said and believe that it's true. Because it is. Consider your members as dead to all of these things. And Paul puts it in Romans like this, 
and present yourselves to God. Now, the word that he uses there, present, first of all, it's a one-time commitment. And it has implicit in its root the idea of sacrifice on an altar. It literally means, as a follower of Christ, come to the altar of God and put your, your agenda, your life, your desires, your faculties, put them on the altar. Give them to God. Take your hands off of your life. Allow the Holy Spirit to take control. Invite Him to fill you. He is already in you. This filling has nothing to do with getting His presence. It has to do with allowing His presence to permeate your being. So that every facet of your life is filled with the Holy Spirit. That means all of your faculties, your mind, your thoughts, your desires, your goals, everything that has to do with you is submitted to the overarching leadership and empowerment and control of the Holy Spirit. It is possible for us, in the power of the Holy Spirit, not to sin in all the ways that we are accustomed. For those of you that just went, tilt, let me very quickly say, it is not possible for us to be sinless in the ultimate sense of the word. Because there is a lifetime of working. But what I want you to know very clearly and unmistakably is that it is possible for us as believers not to knowingly do what we know is displeasing to God. And in that sense, it is possible in the power of the Holy Spirit not to sin. It is not possible apart from Him not to sin. But the Word of God promises that there has never come into your life a temptation that is any different than anyone else has experienced. You know, I, I love it when people say, oh, this is only happening to me. Why me? Why, why is it? It's like, nothing happens to you that hasn't happened to somebody else. You're not, you're not that unique. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but you're just not that special in that sense. Everything you get tempted with, other people have faced. That's what it means when it says, but such is this common to man. And with every temptation, how many? Every one of them. God will make a way of escape that you can endure it. God's way of escape is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Live by the Spirit, the Scripture says, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And this is a one-time commitment. Now, 
some of you are thinking at this point, well, wait a minute. I, um, I made that commitment and my life has kind of gotten off track. Sometimes we have to go back to the altar and look at the stones and be reminded of the decision we made. But the encouragement of the Scripture in the crisis moment, whenever, whenever you're tired of yourself, whenever you're tired of the struggle, whenever you come to the place that the battle with sin has beat you down for the last time and you just want to give up, and you're ready to be transformed, stop trying to do it yourself. Come to the altar of God. Give Him your life without reservation. And invite the Holy Spirit to take over the process. And He will fill you. Now, as I have been preaching this series, I have had a number of people say to me, oh, I can't wait to hear how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I have been longing to have this experience. And then for many, I don't know if this is true of you this time or not, but many hear it and they say, wow, that sounds really good. And they go away unchanged. I want to read you uh, an excerpt from a book by Andrew Murray. He puts it like this. He says, For the Word of God is living and active. At times it may appear as if the Word effects so little. Now, one of the trouble, one of the common misuses of English words is the difference between effect and affect. Okay, to effect something is to cause something to occur. The effect is what happened afterward. Murray is saying, at times it may appear as if the word effects causes so little to occur. The word is like seed. Everything depends on the treatment it receives. Some receive the word with the understanding. There, it cannot be quickened or brought to life. Do you know what he's saying? Some get it here. And there, it cannot do any good. Many people hear the word... They're like the seeds sown on the rocky ground or the, they received it with joy. Oh, yes! I like the sound of that! And they go away unchanged. Because the seed never came to fruition in their life. You can hear preaching on the filling of the Holy Spirit for the rest of your life and never be changed. You can agree with every word you hear and never be changed. Because Murray goes on to say, the word is meant for the heart, the will, the affections. The word must be submitted to, must be lived, must be acted out. 
When this is done, it will manifest its living, quickening power. It is not we who have to make the Word alive, when in faith, in the life and power there is in the Word, when in faith, in the life and power there is in the Word, the heart yields itself in humble submission and honest desire to its action, it will prove itself to be life and power. So here's my question for you this morning. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be under His control? Do you long to have His presence guiding you throughout every moment of the day? Do you hunger and thirst for the living, manifest presence of God in your life? Does it come from your heart? Do you yearn for this to be true of you? If that expresses your heart and you are willing to submit and surrender to Him, He will fill you. He does not mock us. Jesus said, If you being evil evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. He will not withhold this unless it's only delightful teaching up here. If this is as far as it gets, it's not going to help. But if you are yearning from the center of your being to be filled and come under His leadership, He will fill you to the full. And that is, a, that is a crisis moment where a decision must be made. It's not a decision to work. It's not a decision to be ever more sincere in your efforts to be good. It's a yearning to say, God, without You, I really can't do anything. I need You to fill me and control me. I need Your power. I need You to make the difference. I surrender to your control. I yield my life. Believers have an amazing opportunity. They have the capacity and the power of the Holy Spirit to live resisting temptation and living in spiritual victory. They have the amazing opportunity to be Christ-like because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, as always, kind of drilled the point home. That was his talent. He was a prophet. Not always nice, but always to the point. And he put it this way, You are as spiritual as you want to be. Because it is available to you to walk in spiritual victory. And if you don't, if you had not come this morning, you perhaps could claim ignorance. But now you're here and you're hearing the teaching, you cannot claim ignorance. You can only lack desire. Once you've made that 
total commitment of yourself, then every day becomes a day of surrender as you walk with Jesus following him. Every day becomes a day of renewed openness to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. He will guide you in everything you do. And friends, this is the difference. Uh, Paul says this in Galatians. The deeds of the flesh are evident and they're da-da-da-da-da-da-da and all these other things. But this is not true of you if you live by the Spirit and are not under the law. Every day when you make that commitment and that surrender, every day the Holy Spirit will guide your life. You really only have two choices. Well, you really only have one, but a lot of people try the other. One choice is to memorize this whole book and try to follow everything in it. Do you see the problem there? (laughs) Yeah, big problem. About the time you reach the end of Leviticus, you're going to be going, really? The other is to allow the Holy Spirit to guide your life. Dynamically, presently, by His person. That's the beauty of it. I'm not under this thing to, to keep me constantly in line. I'm under the inward direction of the Holy Spirit in every moment counseling me how to act as Jesus would act. Don't go out of here and say, what would Jesus do? That's just another form of law. But the Holy Spirit will counsel and guide and direct so that in every situation... You've made this global commitment. Now it's tomorrow. And you get up and your daughter-in-law calls and she ticks you off and you just want to... And you hear the Holy Spirit say to you, you don't need to say that. Now, many people at that point think that they have a problem because... I just gave my life to God and now I'm fighting with sin again. How can I control my tongue? How can I control my tongue? Well, he just told you. You don't need to say that. And your response is, okay. He always gives the power behind the direction. You don't have to figure it out. All you have to say is, okay, yes, Lord. He will counsel you with His eye on you throughout the day. In every situation, He will direct your steps. Now, some of you say, you know, I remember a time in my life when I made that global, determined, total surrender. I remember that and. What's happened to me now? I, I, I've lost that. And what's happened to you is when the Holy Spirit said, you don't need to say that, you said, but I want to. And the next time the Holy Spirit said, you don't need to go there, you said, but I want to. And... One day the Holy Spirit said, you don't need to buy that. And you said, but I want it. 
And a little further down the road, the Holy Spirit said, I I really want you in this conversation with your neighbor to say this to them. And you said, what will they think? And little by little by little, you quieted the voice of the Spirit as you tuned him out. Because you stopped listening in all the ways He wants to direct you. I have to tell you, friends, this is an all-or-nothing proposition. Do you want to be led by the Spirit or not? And if you find yourself in that position this morning, you say, I remember when I was so full of the Holy Spirit, and today I feel dry And I say to you, go back to that altar, recall your commitment, and give it back to Him. Let Him... That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, always be being filled with the Spirit. Every day, every moment. Paul put it conversely in another place, I die daily. Commentators are as varied in their opinion as what he meant by that is there are commentators, but I think it's very simple. He said, I just give up my agenda every day because he's in charge. He's in control. I want him to be in control. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Invite his control. You know, it's interesting in Ephesians or in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is writing along And he comes to the end of chapter 5 and he says, you know, by this time you ought to be mature. You ought to be teachers. And I have need again to give to you the milk of the Word because you're not able to handle meat. Meat is for the mature and you're not there. I need to give you milk again. And he says, we need to press on toward maturity. And this we will do with God's grace. This we will do. And friends, I want to say to you this morning, we ought to be mature. We ought to be well on the road. The way the Holy Spirit works in my life, and I suspect it's rather the same in your life, is that when we give Him this control, when we give Him this surrender, and He begins to take over and, and can I use the word sanctify? I'm trying to use contemporary terms, but sanctify means to set apart and make holy. He, He sets about to make us look like Jesus. Okay, And he begins with these big outward things. You know, all the gross, crass, stupid stuff you do. He begins with that big stuff. Uh, because it looks so bad, it makes your testimony so rotten. So he starts out there. And once he cleans some of that up, then he begins to hone in on... Uh, your mouth and your speech and things you say and and stuff like that. And then he begins to fine-tune that a little bit more and he begins to deal with your inner attitudes. Stop harboring malice and, and bitterness and all these kinds of things. And then he goes a little bit further and begins to get to your motives. And in my life, for me, it's kind of like I imagine it is an upward spiral toward the character of Christ that, that we, we go around one and then 
as I yield to him, then he starts around again. He touches those things again, but in a deeper way. And then we go round three and we get a little deeper and a little higher. And, and the Holy Spirit is always at work. And this, by the way, is one of the reasons why you have to let him be the sanctifier, not you. Don't set out on a mission to fix yourself. Because you don't know where to start. And don't set out on a mission to fix your neighbor either. Because, <laughs> yeah, I caught that. Because you don't know where to start with them. God has His own plan for every person. He knows just where to start unraveling your mess. And transforming it. And if you listen to Him, He will take you on a journey that is always full of His blessing, always full of His joy, always full of His abundance. And in the process, He is refining and and bringing out the beauty of Christ as He claims the territory in your life. You know the passage that says, don't give place to the devil. That word place in the Greek is topos. We get our word topography from it. It literally means don't give him a a piece of property in your heart. Don't let him have peace of your life. Give it all to God. When you give it to God, he goes to possess it, just like the Israelites in the land of Canaan. One city at a time, and he conquers things. And for us, it's not like pushing down the waterbed. It's literally seeing the life become balanced. Victory becoming consistent. We expose ourselves to Scripture for the purpose of the Holy Spirit bringing us into the mirror to to take spot checks. And let me say to you that if you have a Bible reading plan that's taking you through humpteen chapters a day, I'm not suggesting you stop doing that. But what I am suggesting you do is that you invite the Holy Spirit into the Bible reading plan. It would be better if you read a half a dozen verses and said, Oh Lord, how do you want to change my life today? Speak to me through through your word. In fact, I had a friend who said, I read until I hear from God. Some days that's a verse, some days it's ten chapters. But I read until God tells me something that He wants to do in my life, that He has for me today. It's not always negative. Sometimes it's positive. Many times it's affirming. It's encouraging. It's a blessing. But God wants to, to bring you into the Word and communicate with you. But the purpose of the Bible is not so you can obey its every teaching and rule in the sense of, gosh, I've got to go out and do this. But the purpose is to bring you into relationship with God in front of the mirror. And as the Holy Spirit puts His fingers on things, then you say, yes, Lord, I surrender that. I submit to that. You've already got the whole. I agree. I submit. I surrender to you. Listen to your critics. Let me tell you an experience I had last night. Um, Jonathan and I are batching it for a couple of weeks. And... um, he came home last night, and my back's been bothering me. I didn't feel like standing over the stove. Guys are kind of like that, you know. We just kind of looked at each other and said, well, if we're going to eat, somebody's going to have to cook. And since it's not going to be either one of us, we're going to have to go out to eat. So 
we got in the car and we went out to eat and um, we ordered our food and mine came without the sides. So I'm I'm missing my, my sides, my coleslaw, in fact. And so the server comes to the table and says, how's your dinner? And I said, may I have my coleslaw, please? And she left, and Jonathan said, boy, I don't know what it is with you in restaurants, but you always come across so harsh. The wounds of a friend. <laughs> The wounds, actually, the scripture says the wounds of a, an enemy are better than the kisses of a friend. But anyway, wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Anyway, so, never mind. The point is, and I said to him, John, did I really come across that way? And he said, yeah. Now, i got to tell you that I have this vision of myself as I get older, that I want to become this sweet, kind gentle old man, just oozing Jesus. And instead, I think I'm getting more crotchety by the day. And it really bothered me that I came across that way to the server. So when she came back, I was very careful to say, and by the way, the food is delicious. Thank you so much. And um, that had nothing, that, that little bit of sacrifice was not, was not the solution. Because I went home, and you remember what I told you last week? Invite the Holy Spirit to lead in every situation, and it's not your agenda, it's His. So I went home and I said, Lord, I need to understand why I do this, because it's not the first time it's been pointed out to me. So I need to understand why I do this. Now, God and I, when we have these conversations, He's not talking out loud to me. I just want to make that clear to you if you don't know what I'm talking about. But there's this conversation going on in my spirit. And I hear Him say something. I mean, I sense something in my heart that goes like, well, Paul, what's your agenda when you go a restaurant. I said, well, I want, to, I want to get food and good service for my money. And then I heard him say, right out of last week's sermon, and what's my agenda when you go to a restaurant? And I realized he wants to make a difference in people's lives. And then I sensed, it's not about you. It's about me. The conviction of the Lord is sweet. Did you know that? And what he opened my eyes to is, I have expectations when I go to pay my money for a dinner. I have expectations that for my money, I'm going to get good food and good service. And that's my agenda. And he has a different agenda when I go to dinner, and that is to manifest the Lord Jesus to everyone I touch. And I am not suggesting to you for a heartbeat that we're supposed to turn into doormats who do not 
expect to get what we're paying for. I won't even go into the details about my conversation with OnStar Roadside Assistance this week. But there is a spirit about how we go about bringing the balance into these things. And that spirit is about manifesting Christ because he is more important. And the young lady who is serving our table is more important that she touch Jesus somehow at our table than whether or not I ever get a bowl of coleslaw. Or if I do, that I present my request in a way that is full of grace. You see, what I'm talking about is that the Holy Spirit will guide you. And, and, and if you listen to your critics and listen to your friends, and they are lovingly pointing out things in your life, the Holy Spirit will continue to refine. I mean, last week's message was for me, and God drilled it home in that particular incident. Do you want to be led by the Spirit? You can't say what you want. You can't go where you wish. You can't watch whatever you please. You can't read any old book on the shelf. Do you really want to be led by the Spirit? Do you want Him in control? Do you want the sweetness of Jesus? manifest in your life. I want to read you a paragraph in conclusion. Let each of us gladly yield ourselves to have to do with him. This is Andrew Murray again. If perhaps there be a secret consciousness that all is not right inside of you right now, that we are not giving diligence to enter into the rest let us beware of setting such thoughts aside. Do you have that sense going on? It's not all right. God's been speaking to me this morning. Don't regard that thought as coming from yourself or from the man that brings you the word. It is God waking you out of sleep. Have to do with Him. Be willing that the Word would show you what is wrong. Do not be afraid to discover your sin and wretchedness. The knife of the physician wounds in order to heal. The light that shows your sin and wrong will surely lead you out. The Word is living and will give you life. Do you hunger this morning to be filled with the Spirit? Do you have an attitude towards sin that can only be described as it just makes you angry? Sin just makes me angry. Do you long to have the fullness of Jesus flowing out of your life? It is available. You are invited. Will you submit?
to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 